0: welcome back everybody and happy Tuesday in fact it might not even be Tuesday when this podcast is released as we've had some late episodes and all kinds of things happening with our podcast releases in the past couple of weeks so I just want to really want to thank you guys for your patience I'm really trying to work out our podcast schedule but you know it, it happens sometimes it is what it is so I'm so glad you guys are here I'm so excited to dive into today's episode it's a really juicy one and as I'm recording this I'm actually sitting in my office and staring outside at the most gorgeous sunshine. It is November and the weather is like August. It is insane. There's, oh my God, there's a couple walking by my house right now and they are both in shorts and a t-shirt. Like it's crazy. And it's one of those things where I'm so grateful for this weather and I'm so excited to enjoy it and I'm definitely taking full advantage. But on the flip side of that, I also feel like uncertain about it all. I also also feel like I need to be really concerned because this is just such a huge sign of global warming. And I think we're hitting some pretty high temperatures, like probably record temperatures um, for, for this time of year. So it's like it's, you know, the good and the bad, right? So um it's like trying to celebrate it. But at the same time, I'm like concerned for our environment, all of those things. So before we dive in today, I want to share actually what I'm drinking right now is my pumpkin pie smoothie. I'm so obsessed with it. The minute October hits, between October and like basically all of winter, I am basically using pumpkin puree and like all kinds of things and making bars and smoothies and pumpkin lattes and all kinds of things. I love it so much. Pumpkin is actually really great for your hormones. It's loaded with vitamin A and C, which are really potent antioxidants, which your hormone health needs, your cellular health needs as well. And it's really rich in fiber, which is so great for your gut. And the smoothie that I'm having today Very similar to this pumpkin pie smoothie that you'll find in my book, The 30 Day Hormone Solution. Um, And sometimes I just kind of switch it up based on ingredients I have. And I really just make it this nourishing, healthy protein, healthy fat smoothie that's going to be really satiating and just loaded with so much goodness and fiber and antioxidants. So I basically mix together some coconut milk with some pumpkin puree a little bit of almond butter. I throw in about half of a frozen banana to add a little bit of sweetness. I'll put a, put a little bit of vanilla extract in there. I like the alcohol-free one that I get from, um, um, what's it called? Simply Organic. That's the brand that I like. And I'd like to use the alcohol-free one. And then I'll put in maybe like half a cup of frozen cauliflower And some cinnamon, lots of cinnamon. It's so great for balancing your blood sugar. And then some pumpkin pie spice. And I'll do two scoops of the Canprev Collagen. And I also do two scoops of the Canprev Mycoten, their mushroom complex, just a really great immune support product. So I like to throw that in. And uh, some hemp seeds. And then I just blend it all up. And sometimes I top it with some cacao nibs and it's so delicious, super nourishing, super healthy. And that's what I'm drinking right now. So if you're looking to get your hands on any Canprev products, they have so many fantastic products. You can find them across Canada in pretty much all health food stores. You can also order them online if you're in the US from natures-source.com. They do ship to uh, ship all over Canada and the U.S., which is wonderful if you want to get your hands on some prep products. They do have some really fantastic products for women's hormonal health. They have their uh, thyroid products. They also have their, my favorite, their adaptogen product called Adrenal Chill. And they also have their healthy hormones product, which is really fantastic. So I'm a really big fan um, of that brand and um, all for supporting some amazing Canadian companies. And also what I like to sometimes add to my smoothie is I'll add in the Organifi Gold and I'll use the pumpkin spice one. It's so good. This time of year might be hard to find that one. I still have some leftover. It's really just a limited time product that they have for the fall months. And um, it tastes delicious. So I'll add a scoop of that because it's got some really great herbs in there and also some mushrooms and turmeric and it's really anti-inflammatory. So I'll add a scoop of that. And then if they... If you go to the Organifi site and you don't see the pumpkin one, you could also get the gold because that's their turmeric one as well. And it tastes delicious. And just add some pumpkin pie spice and and you're good. But that one is really good too. So sometimes I'll add a scoop of those into my smoothies just as a way to up the ante on the antioxidants and just the recovery and the adrenal health. They've just got some amazing ingredients and um, some good mushroom complexes in there as well. And you'll also find, like I said, some turmeric, there's some magnesium in there and lemon balm and reishi and um, some coconut milk and cinnamon. And there's acacia fiber, which is really, really great for supporting the building that good bacteria in your gut and supporting proper digestion. So really big fan of Organifi products. And speaking of Organifi... I had somebody ask me the other day if there is anything that I like to take specifically when I'm intermittent fasting, and you know, right now I am I'm kind of upping the ante with my workouts and been lifting a lot more and just kind of working out a lot more. I typically work out anywhere from three to four days a week, but I've kind of boosted that up to about five. So I'd say now I'm anywhere from four to five days a week, um, but lifting a lot more. And so in the morning, I'm finding if I'm working out completely empty and just you know intermittent fasting I'm near the end of my workout I'm really getting quite fatigued because I just don't have that support that that um, you know those nutrients and so I'm feeling a little bit depleted so what I've been doing lately is actually mixing together some of the Organify red juice as well as their green juice and I just mix those together sometimes I'll even throw in their glow product as well I literally just throw it all together a scoop of the all into my shaker bottle, throw in some water and just give it a shake and I drink that. Um, And sometimes I might add in a little bit of BCAAs as well, branched chain amino acids. Uh, I like to use the one from Canprev and I'll throw that in there. Um, and sometimes I just need that little extra. I just I just need the little extra support. And um, I'm a really big fan of the Organifi Green Juice. It really is delicious. And recently, they did this amazing rebrand on their Organifi Green Juice, and they're now using post-consumer recycled labels, and their canisters are made from sugar cane, which is awesome because it helps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And then they've also partnered with the Detox Project, which is a third-party testing company, and they actually test for glyphosate residue in products. So it's so amazing that they now have this uh, certification to have a glyphosate residue-free product, which is huge because so many farmers... They spray their crops in glyphosate, which has a huge impact on cellular health, a huge, hugely negative impact on cellular health and hormonal health and can be an endocrine disruptor. So I'm really, really excited for them and their new rebrand and their green juice tastes so good. And it supports a healthy immune response, healthy weight. um, And there's just a ton of amazing ingredients in there. Moringa, chlorella, mint, spirulina, ashwagandha, wheatgrass, there's some green tea in there, which is great because you get a little bit of that sort of naturally occurring caffeine that's in the green tea. So it gives me like a really nice boost just before my workout there's some beetroot in there which is actually amazing because beetroot is a natural way to increase nitric oxide in the body and again really great to get that nitric oxide boost right before you work out and then there's some turmeric and lemon juice and freeze-dried coconut water so it tastes great and it's a wonderful pre-workout if you're looking for something that want like if you're looking for something that tastes really good and you also don't love juicing vegetables um, because it's a process and you want something that's also going to help support your workout, then I definitely recommend checking out the Organifi Green Juice. So I mix it with the um, with the red juice. And uh, I like to mix those two together and I just kind of get it all down in one gulp and it's really, really good. So you can head on over to OrganifiShop.com. You can save 15% off store wide with the coupon code healthyhormones. They got lots of great products over there. And I do want to say for November, their gold chocolate, they are running a special promo between the 12th and the 19th of November that if you purchase three, or more of the gold chocolate, you will get a free frother, which will be great to make your elixirs with. So it could be a really good time to stock up on some products and maybe give them away as gifts for Christmas time, because that is like literally right around the corner. It's coming faster than than we want to admit. So definitely check out the gold chocolate as well when you're on their website and save 15% off the coupon code is Healthy Hormones. And I know they have some Black Friday sales coming up, which we will be sharing with you guys shortly as well. Okay. So that was a mouthful. Um, thank you so much uh, for listening to me as I go through some of our amazing sponsors that we have that, um, that really helped to support our show. I'm really grateful to be able to work with some amazing companies. And um, I'm really thankful to be able to just bring you guys some, some really great products, access and discounts to some really great products that I love and use and have made a tremendous impact on my health and the health of my clients as well. Okay, so let's dive into our episode today. I'm really excited to be talking about gut health and skin health because there is a huge connection there. And I'm interviewing Jennifer Fugo and we are diving into skin challenges and how they are connected to the gut. We're talking about big triggers for chronic skin rashes and where hormones fall into the mix. We're talking about the importance of tracking the cycle of rash flares, and there actually is such a thing. We dive into the estrogen histamine connection, the thyroid connection to skin rashes, different gut infections that might be impacting your skin, like H. pylori. Then we dive into some dietary recommendations for eczema, lab testing. It is a fully loaded episode, and I think you guys are really, really going to love it. So my guest today is Jennifer Fugo. She is a clinical nutritionist empowering women who've been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin and unending gut challenges. Because she's overcome a long history of gut issues and eczema, Jennifer has empathy and insight to help her clients discover missing pieces and create doable, integrative plans. She holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian nutritionist and certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. She is a faculty member of the Learn Skin platform and an Amazon best-selling author and the host of the Healthy Skin Show. Enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. Welcome, Jennifer, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about you, what you do, who you are, all that good stuff? Well, first of all, thank
1: you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here and to share what I know with your audience, so I hope that it helps at least one person who's listening. Um, I'm a clinical nutritionist, and I work with people who have chronic skin issues. My practice started as more of like a gut-focused practice and morphed into what has become almost solely dedicated to chronic skin problems like eczema, psoriasis, rosacea. I actually do work with people who have tinea versicolor um, and all sorts of of different skin issues. And I would say (laughs) the catalyst for this was because I had developed eczema back in grad school and became incredibly frustrated that there were really no good options except for my dermatologist said, you know, you just have to use some steroid cream and, you know, to keep the moisture in, just put some Vaseline on your hands. Cause that's where my rashes were on the palms of my hands. Oh man. And I was like, aside from the fact that I probably wouldn't want to use petroleum jelly, what's for the sure. practicality of that? Right. Like what am I supposed to do? Like how can I touch anything with petroleum jelly all over right. my hands? So that was basically all that was suggested to me and as I, the rashes got worse and worse and I would wake up in the middle of the night scratching myself to death and the rash was spreading it actually disfigured my nails. I had a I had a form oh, called dyshidrotic eczema where you get these little pustules under the skin that eventually It gets really itchy and then they almost burst and ooze. It flares up and then it really dries out and the cycle just goes over and over again. Right. And I recognize that they're just after a certain point, I either was going to quit. And give up with grad school, give up my dream to become a clinical nutritionist, or I was going to try and figure this out. And I started looking, I tried all the remedies online. I tried creams, natural, not natural. I tried everything. Right. And finally, I was like, I guess I just have to get creative. So I was able over the course of a year, and I think that's a really important point for anybody who's thinking that this is a quick fix solution. Yes, absolutely. Over the course of a year, I was able to figure out, actually, I wouldn't say that, I, what I put together finally helped my skin heal up and eventually the nails to grow out. Would I give that protocol to someone now? Absolutely not. I know a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the point is, over the course of about a year to year and a half, it took time for my skin to rebuild, my nails to grow out, and I recognized that there was a real need for offering people more insight into what was going on, because I was already gluten free, dairy free, and egg free at the time when I had eczema, I'd been that for six years. Right. So when people automatically jump to blaming foods, I'm like, hold the phone. Yeah. Could be, but might not be. And if you've been chronically, um, you know, following these elimination diets to try and deal with your skin, and it's not getting better, there's there seems to be no other options out there. And I wanted to provide people other options. And so that's how I got started with this whole thing and why, you know, I started the Healthy Skin
0: Show podcast and my website, Skinterrupt. And yeah, here we are. That's amazing. Well, I often feel like we get into this field because of our own health issues, Mm -hmm. right? We kind of go through our own experience and then we want to be able to share that and and Mm -hmm. provide solutions for other people. So... I love the name of your website, actually. That's really fantastic. Yeah, it's a really good Thank name. You. So let's discuss some big triggers of chronic skin rashes. And uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, like, oh yeah, my diet or my lifestyle and things like that. But I know there's plenty more. So yes. yeah, let's dive into that. Okay. So
1: I want to clarify this before we go into this list because it is a little lengthy that you do not have all of these problems, okay? So there, (laughs) I consider there to be 16 root causes. It is really unlikely that you have all 16. Most people have anywhere from like three to five, maybe six, maybe seven, depending on how complex their case is and how long they've had the problem. I will also preface with Children and babies are different than adults. So, recommendations that I might talk about here are really for adults, by the okay. way. <laughs> Got it. That's important because moms a lot of times want to implement actions that I may suggest. I don't work with children and babies. My colleague does. And it's much different. You don't do the same thing. Children's cases are also a lot more simple because they don't have as much time. They're not as complex. Yes. You know, (laughs) 40 years versus two months is a big difference for exposures. Definitely. So that said the list includes 16 different things. Uh, the first of which is called obviously microbiome dysbiosis, but it's not just what goes on inside the gut. It's also what happens on the skin. And we also have microbiomes in our mouth and in other areas of the body. So we need to keep in mind that an imbalance in one spot could be indicative of an imbalance someplace else. And they can sometimes drive each other. Um, I find a lot of times that gut dysbiosis can actually drive skin dysbiosis. So if the gut's off, the skin's going to be messed up as well. Right. Now, Gut fun- dysfunction is another problem. Like, say, for example, you have heartburn, or you're you're not pooping every day, and you're constipated, and so you're only going like maybe once every two or three days instead of once one to three times a day. Um, you have gas, you have bloating, that kind of thing. So, any irregularity in the body's ability to digest and absorb food and then eliminate waste properly is actually a problem that we need to look into. Now. A lot of people focus on diet. We, talk, we kind of like mm-hmm. touched on this very briefly and I'm happy to talk about it, but diet and food reactions are actually just only one piece of the puzzle. Right. That's a lot of times why Susie will do an elimination diet and you try it because she got good results, but it doesn't help you at all. And you right. feel like a failure, but it's not because of that. It's because it's not one of your root causes. So that we don't want to just entirely blame food, but we also want to dig deeper to look for nutritional deficiencies. Liver detoxification challenges does not mean we do a liver detox, everyone. Um, <laughs> trauma, unmanaged stress. Uh, there can be genetic implications. There's a gene called filaggrin, which is very important, not just for people with eczema, but uh, all other different skin issues because it's almost like the mortar mix between the skin cells. And when there's a dis- dysregulation or a dysfunction in the way that the, the gene filaggrin produces the protein filaggrin that acts as that mortar mix, um, we can see all sorts of skin barrier dysfunction. Um, and so it's almost like a leaky skin condition. So some people can have a SNP in this gene, but a lot of times it's inflammation someplace else in the body that can cause this gene to not create the appropriate protein. Got it. Uh, then we've got thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances, which you hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about For today, sure. like estrogen dominance, autoimmunity, drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and of course we cannot forget environmental allergies, things like chemical allergies, pet dander, pollen allergies, mold allergies, etc.
0: That's a lot. It is. Yeah. (laughs) But I love that you have this extensive list because again, people, there's a lot of things that I'm sure people are missing, right? And they're just Mm -hmm. trying this like one method for four weeks. It's not working when there's so many deeper issues to look into. So I love that you have this list. Okay. So speaking of hormones, where do they (laughs) fall into the mix here?
1: Well, I will say this. Hormones. And and so when we say hormones, it could be sex hormones, right? It could also be blood sugar. That's important too, but it could also be adrenal hormones. Um, cortisol is really important. And one main reason that most people don't realize why it's so important is because topical steroids are, which is hydrocortisone is actually man-made cortisol. Mm -hmm. And so there can be long-term impacts of an adrenal issue that can happen as a result of exposure to topical steroids. So, so that's that, (laughs) but as far, and we can dig into that deeper. I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I feel like the sex hormone piece for me, at least what I've seen with clients, it's not where you start. Because if you do, it fails. The failure is in recognizing that there's other issues that take more priority or precedence that For have sure. to be resolved. Like you've got to have your liver able to detoxify appropriately. That does not make you know. Chris Masterjohn actually put it to me very uh, in a podcast that I did with him um, very poignantly. He said, your liver is not a fish filter. And it's not. It actually is meant to do a lot of biochemical reactions. We call it detoxification, but from a biochemical perspective, it's not like, oh, I just suck up all these toxins. That's not what it does. (laughs) Right. And so when I look at a lot of issues um, with the liver, for example, I, number one, do not recommend liver cleanses. So if you've thought about doing that, it oftentimes with chronic skin issues will make them worse Mm -hmm. because liver detoxes tend to push too much through phase one detox, and they focus less on feeding the pathways in phase two. Mm -hmm, Phase two is where you really need the support. And oftentimes, because people are gosh, with elimination diets, a lot of times there's nutrient deficiencies. There's lack of nutrients in their diet. There's poor absorption. A lot of times, uh, sometimes people will go vegan. I'm not against a vegan diet, but they're, their protein intake isn't optimized, which you need about 70 to 80 grams at least if you do have a chronic skin issue. And that's ha- sometimes really hard to get on a like a vegan or plant-based diet. For sure. And so you need amino acids and other nutrients like B6 and magnesium and molybdenum, for example, to be able to do these phase two detox reactions. And that's just dealing with the toxins that can result from underlying gut issues and microbiome issues. That doesn't take into account all the other exposures. And so salicylates for example, and I don't know if this will hit home for anyone, but some people have eczema for example, they'll try a low salicylate diet. It means that you're eliminating all of these really healthy, nutrient-rich plant foods for the most part that have they're high in salicylates. And you're like, "Oh, my skin is better. I must just be sensitive to salicylates." Well, that's a really superficial, um, that's a really superficial (laughs) explanation. (laughs) What's actually going on there is your glycine pathway, which actually deals with salicylates, means if you can't handle them, you need glycine and B6. So one of the first steps... This is not for you moms that are trying to help your kids, by the way. Don't do this for little kids, but for adults and even for like older children. You could probably try older children and teenagers. That would be this would be a fine uh, suggestion. But glycine powder, so glycine is an amino acid. Yep. You can go get some glycine powder and try taking anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 milligrams one to two times a day. All you do is you put a little bit of it in some water. You're going to have to get powder, not pills, because I guarantee you, you're going to be swallowing way too many pills. To hit 5,000, yeah. And it has a little bit of a sweet flavor. So it's not an unpleasant thing to do. Just swirl it around down the hatch. Um, Are you going to see magic happen? No, no, because probably that uh, liver detox pathway has been compromised and you're having to build those levels back up. And it's dealing with an overwhelm, what you can take in from your diet or what you can take in from collagen intake or whatever, it's just not gonna be sufficient. You really do need to supplement with this. This is like one of the first things I tell people to do. The second thing is B6. B6 is really important, especially for hormone conversion, but it's mm-hmm. also required for the glycine pathway. You got to be careful with how much you supplement B6. I feel like, okay, people could probably try on their own, like maybe five, maybe 10 milligrams. You got to do the math and what's in your multi or whatever you're taking. Right. It's not always better with B6. So if you really want to optimize that, check in with your practitioner to figure out what's the appropriate level for you. But this is my point is that the liver has to be prepared. Right. Because it's already overwhelmed. So if you then go into what people call a gut killing protocol where like, say you're trying to get rid of candida or, I don't know, pseudomonas or H. pylori or whatever, if the liver's not prepared for what's also going to be headed its way is this, this additional burden, then you're going to end up potentially causing a skin flare, which nobody wants. Right. could look like redness, itchiness, hives, um, just like being driven nuts. You're waking up in the m- middle of the night itching yourself to death. So we want to be really careful with that and then optimize gut function so that we're eliminating these things appropriately. That's why I kind of like call out my friends that are a on the constipated side. Yep. Because if you're not getting rid of what's hanging out inside the GI tract and it's sitting in you, that can actually make things worse. So a lot of times people who are constipated can actually notice a, a not huge improvement, but a noticeable improvement in their skin symptoms if they at least regulate their bowel movements more appropriately and get to that point where you're pooping one to three times a day so that's where i would start then looking at what's going on in the gut looking at do you have a histamine issue looking at especially food um pollen allergies is a big deal for some people and that can translate to oral allergy syndrome and sensitivities to other like random fruits and vegetables and other things um and so you want to look at a lot of other things before you really get to the hormone piece specifically. That said, if you have estrogen dominance present because of a gut problem, that's a whole other... You know, So there's a lot of things that have to be looked at before we then dive into saying, let's go tinker
0: with the hormones
1: themselves. For sure, which
0: totally makes sense. So... Let's just expand on that estrogen dominance piece and what's what's sort of the issue there. I know there's an estrogen and histamine connection as well, which can lead Mm -hmm. to more issues with the skin. So I'll just kind of let you take this one away.
1: Yeah. So estrogen dominance, one of the things that I tend to find with clients who are struggling with estrogen dominance is that, okay, so we're going to start with the gut. Gut gets hijacked by bugs that have an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. Beta-glucuronidase actually reactivates estrogen that your liver shut off because your liver is responsible for helping to regulate how much much estrogen is in the system. So it turns it off, sends it to the gallbladder in the bile. And when the bile gets squeezed out when you eat food into your GI tract, and the estrogen floats down and you poop it out. Right. But when you have these bugs that have this enzyme, I'm sure your audience might know that this enzyme will turn the estrogen back on and so it'll be reabsorbed. And so that's why on stool testing, they're usually, if it's a good stool test, it will have a beta-glucuronidase marker that helps us gauge, is it possible that your estrogen detox process has really been hijacked? And so this is a problem because high levels of estrogen actually cause a whole lot of histamine problems. So when we think of histamine, um, there can be that sort of like triad of asthma, eczema. Um, Sometimes people have hives, they've got severe itching. So this is where like with eczema, it can be uh, interestingly more complicated than some of the other skin issues, though there are other facets to like psoriasis that are very interesting and unique in and of itself. But with high levels of estrogen, um, we have an enzyme in our gut that is meant to break down dietary histamine or histamines produced in the gut. That enzyme is known very simply as DAO. And you can certainly supplement with that enzyme. But Mm -hmm. the problem is that high estrogen blocks the production of that enzyme. So that means that foods that you normally wouldn't react to, like high histamine foods and f- like regular foods like avocado that, you know, tend to be higher in histamine but aren't like wine mm-hmm. or right. beer,
0: right? <laughs>
1: some sort of <laughs> fermented food. Um, you have more difficulty breaking down those histamines. And what can also be a problem in this sort of like gut situation, is that sometimes we can actually have bugs living in the GI tract that produce histamines as well. So you have this like overwhelm of histamine coming into the system, which is really problematic. And high estrogen also increases the histamine receptors on your cells. So it makes them even more susceptible to histamine floating around in your system. So it's not uncommon to see this picture of someone who has gut dysbiosis, they can't get rid of their estrogen, and now they've got all these histamine issues. I mean, the histamine overwhelm, I call it like a your how, how full is your histamine cup? Yes. And, and looking at that, um, there are some really fascinating scenarios that can happen that can really drive people nuts. And this whole time, they're like, is it eggs?
0: Is it dairy? Right. You know, is
1: it is, is it nightshades? And I'm like, yeah. no, like, actually, this is not just a diet problem. Like, there's a lot of hijacking going on here and we need to start to unravel this so you, you become more comfortable.
0: Totally. Well, that was a really great breakdown. Thank you so much for that. So for somebody that's listening, that's like, oh, my God, this sounds <laughs> so complicated and the histamine yeah. and the estrogen dominance and like, what are some simple steps that they can take to either address like to address this.
1: Well, I would say the first thing is a make sure that you are well, pooping properly. That's right. that's number 1. Number 2, I would definitely get checked for H pylori because H pylori can also increase histamine in the system and it's not uncommon in these histamine overload cases to see H pylori hanging out underneath the surface. Yeah. Um I would also consider removing like the fermented foods. Um, You don't have to go so crazy into being like, well, let me get rid of avocado. I can't have any leftovers. I mean, the low histamine diet is pretty crazy for a lot of people. It's really restrictive. It's really hard. And I've actually worked with a bunch of people that got to a point where they just don't even want to eat anymore because they're just so Mm -hmm. disgusting. So be careful. It's a slippery slope to do on your own. I would say try to work with somebody if that's the route you really need to go. But look for H. pylori. And you may want to try supplementing with DAO. That can also possibly help. You could give a trial run of a DAO supplement for two to four weeks. Uh, My suggestion in how to take it is basically you take it 10 minutes before you eat a meal. And DAO cannot make up for, say you need other enzymes, you still have to take your other digestive aid. So you do like 10 minutes before the DAO, five minutes before whatever your other digestive aid is, and then you eat. Got it. So that would be where I would start. Um, The other thing that I'll just mention is that with some of these um, issues, you should, like if it gets really bad, you should consider that there could be other underlying, um, there could be other underlying problems. Um, One thing is that like mold, for example, will suppress your immune system and that can also contribute to histamine overload. But that's not, Like I'll ask someone if they have that, but we're not going to like dive into that until we've really evaluated the whole scenario. So what I would say is, and this is just a general rule of thumb for anyone listening to this, go through, identify all the symptoms that you Mm -hmm. have. Don't just fixate on your skin. So this is what I would say. I always go, okay, what do you have? What's the diagnosis, right? So let's just say, for example, someone says psoriasis. I'm like, okay, psoriasis. Um, and then they, I'm like, where? what else is going on? Even if it's something your doctor told you is not a big deal or don't worry about it or you think you're like, you're just nitpicking, like right. write it all down. Yep. Then I'm going to say, okay, Tell me about your psoriasis because a lot of people assume that psoriasis is just the same. I want to know what your experience of it is. Is it itchy? Does it burn? Where, what areas is it in? Because that's important. Um, you know, is it flaky, uh, you know, with hives, like when do they show up? For example, is it because say you wear tight pants and all of a sudden the waistband triggers hives or you go outside for a run and it's hot and you develop hives. Like I want to know all of the nitty gritty details because everyone's experience with these skin issues while yes, there's a lot of commonalities that helps Paint a picture, almost like a treasure map for someone like myself Mm -hmm. to start checking off boxes. And in my head, (laughs) like I'm not a computer, but it's interesting. Like having a lot of data, I'm like, I listen and I'm like, ping, ping, ping. Oh, wait, let me ask about this. And that's where you can really help someone if you are working with them, kind of figure out what's going on. If you don't have anybody to help you right now, or if you want to just like kind of dig into that a little deeper. I also do have, um, which I'm happy to share with your audience, uh, the uh, skin rash root cause finder where they can go through all of these different symptoms, and it'll help them identify what root causes they actually have. That way you can then bring that to someone and
0: be a little more focused. That's great. Yeah, we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And I love that you mentioned, you know, like not getting so fixated on the sort of the top symptom. Cause I mean, it's the same thing I also hear with like weight loss and it's like, okay, I get that. Like that's the thing you want to address but mm-hmm. we got to dive in deeper to see all these other things that could be contributing to it, right? So I love that you went there. Okay, so just expanding on H. pylori cause you touched on that briefly. It's a very common infection. Yes. Can you maybe break down like what it is? And I know in terms of like steps to healing, again, this could be very different for each individual mm-hmm. but maybe we can just dive into- Uh, sort of some basic foundational steps that somebody can take with H. pylori?
1: Absolutely. Um, So H. pylori, not everyone has H. pylori, by the way. (laughs) I just want to clarify that. Yes. So... H. pylori is a corkscrew bacteria that is, there's some argument about whether it's okay to have some level of it versus not. The problem is I work with people that have chronic health problems. So I kind of am a little biased in that if you're coming to me and you have all these crazy symptoms and H. pylori is even just there on a test, we're going to deal with it. I'm not going to sit here and go, well, (laughs) <laughs> right, You know, it is what it is. Plus the other piece is when you do testing, especially like stool testing, uh, like the GI map, for example, will give you a number as opposed to like positive, negative. Um, I like the number better. H. pylori can hide. It's not, so you can have sort of a, see a small number, but actually have symptoms or have problems from it. You have to consider the full picture. hmm So the way we get H. pylori is through kissing. So if you have a partner and you have it, you should assume they do too. Mm -hmm. So if you're both going to do, if you're going to do a protocol, you should probably have your spouse. (laughs) Otherwise you're just going to get it back. Nobody wants that. (laughs) It's Mm got to get evicted from the house. Um, So that's number one. Number two, you can get it from contaminated water, from food, um, you know, those are like the main or utensils. Those are the main ways that we really, the four main ways we really pick it up. Will you get violently ill when you get, no, most of the time the infection will start in the mouth. Every time you swallow more will go into the stomach. And with time, the amount will grow. And what it does, it's very unique in that it produces an enzyme called urease, which deactivates your stomach acid. So people will—it's really common. I'm sure your audience knows to have low stomach acid versus high stomach acid. Right. So everybody's like, "Oh, I've low stomach acid. I need to take betaine HCL." Blah blah blah. I'm like, mm-hmm. hold the phone, because if you don't know if you have H. pylori, you don't want to acidify the stomach. And I know that it sounds crazy, and I really fought believing this, but I've read enough research and talked to enough. Of enough colleagues that are way smarter and nerdier than me to recognize the problem is when we over acidify the stomach and H. pylori is present, it drills deeper into the tissue, making it a more difficult to pick up and b more difficult to clear. So if, so if you have H. pylori, I would say, or if you have low stomach acid, let's just start there. Just start with a digestive enzyme, nothing that contains betaine HCL. That way you're not potentially... Making things more difficult or problematic for yourself. Then right. get go. You could go to your doctor. You could ask them to do either a breath test or a stool antigen test. There also is a blood test to look a blood antigen test. Um, and if you do an endoscopy, they can also do um, a biopsy to look for uh, H. Pylori H. pylori as well. I usually tell people, I'm like, try and get the stool antigen test. It could all of it could come back negative. By the way, that is possible. It's it is very common to see false negatives, and I think some of these uh, conventional labs are like they're only they they only give you good results about seventy seven percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Again, that's where like having someone to really help you and identify like do you have nausea? Do you have random stomach pain? Are you getting uh, stomach discomfort? Like. All of these different weird symptoms, or if someone, for example, has a lot of itchiness, a lot of allergies, they're taking Zyrtec all the time and it's barely helping, and they've got a really big histamine picture. If it came back negative, I'm probably just going to be like, "Let's just do this." Right now, as far as dealing with it, again, no betaine HCL until it's cleared. Um, if you have issues with heartburn, you probably want to avoid the the classical heartburn triggers like coffee, fatty foods, fried foods, chocolate, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, I don't really have people change their diet. There's no H. pylori diet. Right. I think people think diet can just like fix everything. And that's really not the case, case. unfortunately. (laughs) Um, That said, depending on the severity of your symptoms, that will determine whether you choose to do an antibiotic route or you choose to do like the more natural route. So, the antibiotic route is a triple therapy with a PPI, and it lasts anywhere from seven to 14 days. In some instances, it can be really helpful for people. I know, like, all of us cringe. We're like, oh, oh, my, right. gosh. oh my God. Oh, PPI. And <laughs> yeah. that's for GERD and like a heartburn medication. I don't want that. And I don't want any, all those antibiotics. But for someone who is really, really struggling, who cannot sleep has severe heartburn, you're right. on I had one client that was on two steroid inhalers multiple times a day with heartburn, with severe itching. Yes, the seven days of the antibiotic was rough, but she felt so much better For sure. at the end of that, so that at least we could start working on, on the, all the other stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. other people who might not really have those symptoms, the alternative route, and you're looking at things like mastic gums and carnosine, bismuth, sometimes they'll be you'll see some berberine in formulas or neem or espalarty, et cetera. They can also be helpful. Um, so it just depends on your comfort level. I think also to the state, like I like to see stool testing and kind of say, well, given the picture, and then let's looking at your microbiome, like, could the antibiotics do, like, if you have a really depleted microbiome, that's, if the symptoms aren't too bad, I'll be like, can we just try the natural route to not do too much damage to everything else? But some people have overgrowth. And maybe the antibiotics actually might be helpful and get you a little further down the road. So sure. It's about having a it's about having a conversation with your practitioner so you can weigh the pros and cons of
0: each path forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. That was really awesome. I quickly want to interrupt today's episode and just let you know about our Healthy Hormones Recipe Club. If you've been following me for a while, you know I love to get into the kitchen, I love doing recipe development, cooking up delicious food, baking up delicious low sugar treats, and I really want women to feel empowered in the kitchen, to take back their health, and I don't want you to feel deprived when it comes to healing your health and your hormones. If you have ever asked yourself, what's for dinner tonight. If you've ever been confused about what to put on the dinner table that's going to support your health and also optimize the health of your family and your kids, that's why I created the Healthy Hormone Recipe Club. Each month, we have a new theme from thyroid support to immune health to adrenal health to slow cooker recipes, fall soups and stews, all kinds of amazing recipes that we are whipping up every month. When you join a recipe club, you will get a meal plan, a grocery shopping list, and we often throw in some amazing health eBooks and guides, whether that's our gut health guide, PMS guide, maybe additional recipes. Sometimes we throw in some healthy dessert eBooks. No matter what, we're always throwing in some extra support because we want you to feel your very best. It's $9 a month to join and you never have to ask your Yourself again. What the heck am I cooking to feel amazing, support my family, and support my hormones? We've got you covered. Head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash recipe club and come join us today. I'm so excited to see you on the other side and see what deliciousness you're cooking up. I want to switch gears here and talk about the thyroid, because I know there's definitely a connection between the thyroid and skin rashes and skin issues. Let's go there for a second. What What's the deal? What's the deal with the thyroid causing skin issues?
1: <laughs> well, with um, Hashimoto's, it's not uncommon to see eczema because yes. one of the symptoms is dry skin. I have uh, Hashimoto's, yes. <laughs> so So, yeah. So, I always like to get a full thyroid panel. Um, it's often not run unless a person has like really overt symptoms. Right, And sometimes we find stuff that no one was anticipating. Now, when it comes to um, hives, hives can also be a sign. So chronic urticaria can also be a sign of Hashimoto's. But with psoriasis, there's some really interesting connection between psoriasis and Hashimoto's. So I had one client she felt awful her rashes were driving her nuts super itchy all sorts of stuff and i was like you need to get lab like like a regular labs we need to look at everything and her tsh for those who are in the know um about like an optimal range is like 1 to 2 she was at 33 oh my that is. That was the highest I, and I'm not even exaggerating. She's been on the healthy skin show to talk about her journey. So I found wow. this huge problem. And I was like, you need to go to the endocrinologist like, like now, like, like yeah. a month ago. <laughs> yeah, totally. You need to go. I think I've, I may have even written a letter because I was like, I, I need to make sure that you get in immediately. Like this is a big deal. And so helping to regulate her thyroid, she didn't obviously need medication, made a huge improvement not just in her rashes and like her symptoms. It didn't fix them, but it was better. Right. But it also improved her her like state of mind because sure. skin rashes are really emotionally hard to deal with. And when your thyroid is really off, you can become very depressed. Um she she kind of sounded like she was about ready to jump out a window. And she even For said sure. she's like I was in a bad place. So Get your thyroid checks. I love to look at a full thyroid panel to make sure what's going on, but also too, there's so much interesting nutritional interplay with The conversion and like we need protein, (laughs) this theme of protein, we need tyrosine, which is an amino acid in order to make our T4 and T3. We need iodine and zinc and magnesium and selenium. And iron is really important because the TPO enzyme actually requires iron within it. So I'll look at a full iron panel as well, along with ferritin, because I want to make sure that we're not also missing other nutrient depletions. Right. Um, And I'll also add that as a slight aside, because it just popped into my head. So um, for people who do have iron deficiency anemia or whose iron has really trended low, that can actually, and we don't know why, but that can actually cause your skin to become more itchy.
0: Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm my mind is like racing right now. <laughs> like, just All these ideas and questions and things are going through my head right now. Yeah. That's really, really fascinating. Well, I mean, I have Hashimoto's and I've definitely noticed that my skin has been impacted. And even just with clients that I work with too, it tends to be a very, a very common symptom. I mean, especially just with autoimmune in general, this, the list of symptoms is can just be wild. It can just mm-hmm. be, it can be a lot. So, okay. So Tracking like cycle of rash flares like is that a thing? Should you be tracking when these flare ups are happening? Yeah, let's talk yes, about that a bit. Yes, okay.
1: absolutely. So for two reasons, and really this only the, the only one applies to women specifically because men don't have menstrual cycles, right? So. <laughs> The one that's about women for women is like, do we see an increase or a shift as your hormones change? So for some people, they will notice that as progesterone starts to spike, they have rashes. So you can actually develop an allergy to your progesterone, What? which is like crazy. Yeah.
0: That's the first time I think I've heard that.
1: Yeah. So that's a real thing. Um, and, and it, which is interesting because progesterone, so during pregnancy, progesterone stays high. And one reason so I, I interviewed this brilliant immunologist recently on this, and she's like, well, progesterone goes high and it can actually shut off an autoimmune state because, you know, the, we're trying to do whatever we can. So the body doesn't reject the child. Of course. Um, however, you can actually develop this reaction to your progesterone, mm. um, and, Estrogen levels can also impact flares and, and whatnot. So, and we obviously talked about estrogen dominance. Right. So that's one reason why. The second reason is that some people have parasites. And so if we can't correlate it with your menstrual cycle or for men, if, you know, obviously they're not menstruating, right. um, that might be another factor here is to say, like, let me take a look at what this process is and then see like do some of the other symptoms like you know anal itching <laughs> that kind of stuff right. are, are they showing up as other symptoms like can we pinpoint it to something not everyone has parasites i know that there's this like big uh there's a big push on the internet and instagram that right. everybody has parasites that's not true <laughs> not everyone Good does to know. <laughs> And the other thing is, too, there's also a question of, are all parasites necessarily bad? Um, one interesting thing, uh, this immunologist, I've, she's actually been on my show before, and she'll be back on at a later date. Her name's Heather Zwicky. She had said to me that worm infections, I know, it's so gross, it's like, yeah. oh, worms, <laughs> um, but worm infections in in areas of the world, like in certain countries in Africa, for example, where worm infections are more predominant, they don't see pollen allergies hmm. because the pollen allergies in the worm worm infections actually occupy the Th2 response. So when you have a worm infection, your body doesn't care about the pollen. Right. And they're starting to actually use helmet therapy to <laughs> for people who have these chronic pollen allergies to try to get their allergies to reduce. I've heard so, of this. There's like some really cool new stuff going on, but it goes goes to show you that we just want to be we want to be mindful. Like, don't go. I got to go out and do a parasite cleanse. Right. There's it's like all the rage online, but unfortunately, I've also seen a lot of people with skin issues that have severe flares as a result of trying to do this. And I'm like, we have to remember that preparation is key. Yep, <laughs> preparation is important in sports, in college, for pretty much anything we do. And that also includes your body. And so if you're not eliminating things appropriately, if your liver detox is backed up, you're constipated, we're not moving the lymph, we're not doing other things, we're not able to sweat, going hardcore, guns ablazing at parasites is probably not the right thing to do. And the other issue, Biome is really complicated. I have mad respect for our bodies. It is so much smarter than any of us. Like we're always learning new things, which is amazing. But when you're like, oh, I think I have a candida issue, but you don't look at anything else. The problem is what if candida is actually holding something else down and kind of keeping that in check. So you get rid of the candida. There's nothing to kind of keep this other guy in check. So, so I have worked with people many a long time ago where I was like, I I didn't quite have quite the amount of respect of like understanding the order in which you do things and you address one thing, but it has a consequence. And that consequence is that you get worse. So it's, that's why I just say, we want to be really careful when we start going, I'm just going to do these protocols I read online. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you can't DIY, but you also have to be realistic. If you're struggling with a lot of different issues and your quality of life is really compromised at this point and it's complex, that's where you might want to ask for some help.
0: For sure. Absolutely. Okay. So let's dive into topical solutions because I know everybody just likes to put on a topical solution thinking that that's going to be, you know, the fixer, although that's not often the case. So in terms of topical steroids. Like let's start okay. there. What is the problem with them?
1: Okay. So I already touched on it's man-made cortisol. Yes. So what happens when we apply topical steroids is that it actually, <laughs> it blunts your immune response, which is why you can end up with more skin infections, like staph infections, etc. can also increase your risk of developing cancer and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the immediate sense, it gets might get rid of your rash because you're right. like, oh, this is great. It stops inflammation for sure. Inflammation drives many of these conditions. That's also why, I know we're not going to touch on this, but biologic drugs that are used for these skin issues, they all block inflammatory pathways. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's like you've got to really look for what's causing inflammation. And it's likely not going to be at the where the rash is. Sometimes it will be, but not always. So. We use topical steroids because that's like the first thing that's recommended to us. Right. And for certain people, especially those with a histamine picture, they might also have an, a steroid inhaler, might also use a nasal steroid spray. You might even be given rounds of prednisone orally mm-hmm. right. at a certain point, but it could just be a mom rubbing topical steroid on her baby. So it wasn't for her, but she's touching the topical steroid because she's got to rub it on her child. And so the exposure to topical steroids can hijack your uh, adrenal function and throw you into what's known as topical steroid withdrawal. Now, the the problem here is that this is not an official diagnosis. There is an organization called ITSAN, I-T-S-A-N. They are sort of at the forefront of advocating for people who are in this horrific state of of living. Wow, it is your crazy. hair will fall out. You w- w- can't sleep at night. You can't regulate your body temperature. You become incredibly depressed. Your skin will turn bright red all over no matter where. Like you'll think you're having a flare and that the rash is just spread. That's not what happened at all. And your skin burns and itches and dries out and flakes. And it is... So upsetting and life wrecking. And so, sure. if anybody is listening to this and thinking that that might be the case, there is actually a documentary that's for free on YouTube you can go check out called Preventable. Um and it may help open your eyes about what's going on with you if awesome. you feel like you've kind of it's not it doesn't seem like eczema, but I don't know what's going on right. Um And I have a bunch of also on the Healthy Skin Show, we've done a bunch of episodes on this as
0: well. So that's number one as far as topical steroids. Right. That's crazy. Um, Just a random aside. I remember quite a few, this is going back quite a few years ago. I happened to be in this forum, uh, this group forum online and was was asked to kind of go through and just give some like dietary advice and things like that. And there was this woman who had posted about her, I think it was like her six or seven-year-old child who had psoriasis and just like all these skin issues. And she Mm -hmm. would wash you're going to cringe. She would wash her child in a tub of bleach. Oh yeah. yeah. That's the thing.
1: I know. Yeah. I was like... <gasps> a bleach bath. Yeah. Oh you dilute bleach. It's a really in my, a minute amount of bleach in water. Now there's all different types of baths. That's one form. So it, do, it can help for people who have chronic staph infections, but I would just ask that... You don't just go online. You also talk to your doctor and oh, find out sure. if you really think that's appropriate. But you yes. also have to be aware that you are inhaling fumes. It's not, it, again, super diluted. Um, and it doesn't, I don't believe it burns. I've never heard, had anybody tell me that. Right. Um, but you can do other type of baths. Um, some people find apple cider vinegar baths. So you add some apple cider vinegar right. to a bath. Right. Uh, you can do colloidal oats. You can try um, magnesium, like a Epsom salt bath. Yep. Um, so those are some options to try. Uh, I will also say too, be careful with hot showers. For some reason, mm. with eczema specifically, the the really hot water can make it worse. So sometimes I'll say try and just do like a two or three minute shower, keep it lukewarm, and then get out, dry off real quick, and then moisturize. Um, those are just like some they're basically band aids to help get you For while sure. you're on the
0: road. Makes sense. But um, yeah, yeah. When I read that, I was like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, so then. In terms of more natural solutions, and like you just mentioned, like moisturizing when you come out of the shower, like what would be your go tos that you recommend?
1: I would say try to go with single or really single ingredient or simple. Very simple ingredient uh, products. I'm not a big fan of the stuff that is sold at the grocery store or the pharmacy. Right. Um, I like to look for more natural things. I I would just say if you are if you have a lot of pollen allergies, I would really caution you against getting formulas that have a lot of essential oils in them, or a lot of like like calendula calendula is kind of okay even if you're allergic to that sort of family that it's in but some of the other ones you have to be careful some people can be sensitive to those um i would also at least for so my recommendations for eczema and psoriasis are kind of different mm-hmm. um and even for dandruff different um for eczema i'd say avoid coconut oil uh number one it doesn't absorb into the skin appropriately it usually just sits on top of the skin and it feels hot right. and so it will not moisturize the skin. Number two, it also is just way too antimicrobial. So unless you actually have a fungal problem, like Got you it. know you have fungal rashes, I would only do like a 30 to 45 minute, like put it on and then take it off, Got don't it. leave it on. Right. Um, but if you just have eczema, the other problem is I'm seeing more people who are actually developing allergies to coconut and coconut oil. Mm-hmm. So I say no coconut oil that includes products that have coconut oil like really high up in the list
0: right. um,
1: so there's that with psoriasis some people feel that coconut oil actually helps their rashes right so um, and then with dandruff I would not do coconut oil you know you can try gosh dand- dandruff is tough because that's also another internal mostly internally driven problem that ends up causing a traffic jam or a <laughs> catastrophe on the scalp or the face right. or the areas where we have usually a lot of sebum produced because of hair. Right. Um, but ozonated oils can sometimes be helpful, like ozonated um, sunflower seed oil, believe it or not, um, can be sometimes helpful for dandruff. Okay. So that's an option. Um, but as far as like good things to try for eczema, there's one product called Indigo Calm Balm. I'm not associated with that com- the company that makes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have some probiotics in it, but just be mindful that, again, there are some essential oils in it. So just make sure that you're okay with those. I've had clients where they can increase the length of time they go between steroid cream use. Awesome. Um, you could also try things like active skin repair, which is hypochlorous acid. If you do find that you're struggling with uh, skin infections, that might be helpful. Staff specific issues can be helpful. Um, you can be you can try Glad Skin. It's not the cleanest product, but it does have it seems to have efficacy for some people to control staph on the skin. And people with psoriasis can also get staph infections as well, so that might be helpful for people with psoriasis. One thing that can also be helpful is just anything that has indigo in it. Indigo, for some reason, this is just, uh, there is some research on it, but my clients who have psoriasis have found that indigo in products have actually improved like the feel and look of their plaques. So that's one thing to try. And you could also try um, CBD oil topically. Just don't get something with a menthol right. in it because that will burn. Burn for sure. Makes yeah, sense. And no essential oils on this, like und- especially undiluted. undiluted. Don't be like, I'm going to put some tea tree oil. Like, mm-hmm. no, do not do that. You can act because your skin barrier is compromised. So by doing that, you can actually increase your risk of developing an allergy to those products. So it's sort of like leaky gut. We have leaky skin as well. Right. And- that's a barrier. They're both barriers. Mm-hmm. And so now you're introducing something that can cause or trigger an immune response. And so you have to be really, really careful. Um, I don't recommend using essential oils like directly on the skin. Ever. Yeah.
0: I always tell my clients to, to always dilute them or mm-hmm. like add them into your moisturizer or your skincare right. oil or something like yep. that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my last question for you, you've touched a lot on protein. So I'd love to kind of just go that dietary route and just chat about some dietary recommendations that, you know, I guess like a general recommendation in terms of what would be really healthy for supporting our skin.
1: The first thing I would say is get rid of gluten. I'm not like gluten. I'm not on the gluten is the devil train, but I think that it really does help from a gut perspective and keeping what's in the gut in the gut and not allowing the gut to become more permeable and start impacting your immune, you know, you've got inter, in, immune system interaction between the proteins and the bug parts and the toxins and everything. Like, let's just try and let's keep things nice and tight as much as possible. For sure. Um, it, and it can also be inflammatory. If you have eczema, you could try taking out chicken eggs. For some people, that's an issue. If if you find that it's an issue, you could also try duck eggs or quail eggs. Right. You know, that is a different protein. Uh, I can't tolerate chicken eggs, but I can do duck eggs just fine.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: Um, you know, for some people who have more of a histamine picture, yep. you may want to pull back those fermented foods, as we discussed. Right. Um, enough protein is really important. Uh, getting your omega threes, so like cold water fish can be a great option, if, assuming you're not allergic to fish. Right. And other seafood. Um, and then also. I love adding ground flax in about one to two tablespoons, except in those who are diarrhea prone, because that'll make it worse. Worse. (laughs) Um, and then as far as like, like, so we really want a healthy skin, my gut microbiome. And so your gut microbiome needs to produce a short chain fatty acid called butyrate. And we can, there's actually two good food sources for butyrate. One is ghee. Mm-hmm. And the other is pistachios. So again, no dairy allergy, awesome. no nut allergy. No allergy. You could yeah. give those a try. Yes. I work with you can tell I work with a lot of people with allergies. <laughs> for for like, sure. that doesn't work for everyone. I'm like, I know. Like we do what we can. Yes. Um, and as far as people with psoriasis are concerned, uh, you wanna you might want to try also to Playing around with removing nightshades, for some people it helps, for other people it doesn't. It's not a hard and fast rule, right? For people who have dandruff, um, I would say you have to watch fermented yeasty foods because there's a weird interaction between your, your immune system becoming aware of fungal organisms in your GI tract. And then it goes and looks for it elsewhere. And that's why everything, if you look at like head and shoulders and all of the different dandruff products, they're all addressing malassezia overgrowth. And I'm like, that's not the problem. It's not the malassezia. It's a fungal organism that naturally lives on the skin. It's that your body got confused and now thinks that that's your enemy. And now all of a sudden you end up with this rash. So my husband had, um, has or had, dandruff. And so we notice once we dealt with it, he's still kind of sensitive. So if he has beer, so he can have one beer, but if he has two or three beers over the course of a weekend, we'll start to notice patches show back up. Ah, So you got to, so you got to be careful with the nutritional yeast, no brewer's yeast. Obviously that's going to have gluten in it. Um, You're going to probably have to avoid all vinegars, no kombucha, and no like alcohol and and such for a while until you actually address what's happening internally and as far as hives are concerned that's complicated but again that might be where removing some of those really high histamine foods might give you some relief while you're figuring out what's causing this
0: elevated like IgE picture wow well that was very fascinating <laughs> <laughs> lots of food for thought. I really appreciate you being here today and sharing all of your knowledge and your insights. Where can our audience find you to get more information and juicy juicy knowledge?
1: Well, you can visit me over at skinterrupt.com. Uh, that's my website. I also have the podcast the Healthy Skin Show. We produce Oh, one episode a week right now. Mm-hmm. And there's tons and tons of content there. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter. So awesome. you can pretty much find me anywhere. And I'm just sharing, especially with Instagram, if you want to hear about like client case studies and stuff and you want to kind of like dig in, that's where more I'm like more active on.
0: That's really great. And then we'll be sure to put your skin guide. Tell us a little bit more about that. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes.
1: Yes. So it's free for anybody to download. And um, it'll walk you through a symptom checklist and allow you to kind of like add up everything that you checked off. And there'll be different categories. And it'll help you better understand where your big root cause issues are. And then from there... Um, as you, you know, if you want to start with like the podcast, you'll start to see that idea of like, here's a hierarchy of the areas that we've taught. And I talked about that a little today about liver, gut function, then gut microbiome. And you can start there if you want to start on your own journey to figure out like what some of these issues are
0: and how to resolve them. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes so everybody can go find you. And thank you. That was a really great conversation.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed our episode today. If you want to connect with our guest, Jennifer, head on over to Instagram. You can give her a follow there at Jennifer Fugo. That's F-U-G-O. And also head on over to her website, skinterrupt.com. And be sure to head on over to our website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 129. That's 129 to grab today's show notes. Thanks again for being with us today. and don't forget to check out Organify, save 15% off site-wide with the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES. And if you're looking to get your hands on some Canprev product that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, they are available across Canada in all health food stores, or you can head on over to natures-source.com if you're in the US and wanna get your hands on some of their products. Thanks again for tuning in. If you haven't left us a rating and a review, we would so appreciate it. I love reading them. And it means that, our episodes, our podcast is having an impact on you. And those ratings help us reach more women and support more women globally in healing and supporting their health and their hormones. Thanks again, everyone. I'll chat with you next week. Have an awesome day.